0: This morning is from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. So, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us, from the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. My name is Eric Armitage, and I'm the lead pastor of Trinity Fellowship Church. (laughs) God is good and his ways are mysterious. I have a simple question to start us off this morning. How do you know that you are loved? I, I think about Lisa and the love that she shows to me, and it comes about in so many different ways. She does things for me that she does not have to do simply because she loves me. My, my mornings start with a cup of coffee being brought to me wherever I am in the house. I could make my own cup of coffee, but she serves me, loves me, cares for me by bringing me that cup of coffee, and that communicates love to me. She speaks words of encouragement to me. When I'm discouraged, she uplifts me. When I'm in a good place, she joins me and celebrates with me. I, I know that she loves me because she communicates it in so many different ways. Now, if we look at it the other direction, and we're in the same house, but we're not communicating. She sits on the couch and occasionally makes eye contact, and our communication is monosyllabalic, (laughs) one-syllable grunts and yeses and noes, and there's no action one to the other to show any sort of care. You're, You're not feeling loved. You're not feeling seen. So how do you feel loved? I think all of us have a desire to love and to be loved. We all have a desire to know someone and be known by them. We have a desire to understand and be understood. There's this deep-rooted reality that we were not meant to be alone. We need to be loved, and we need to love. So as I look at this text that was just read for us this morning, I have a question God has done so much for us. How can we demonstrate our love for God? You know, we're going to be continuing this morning in Colossians 1. Uh, Last week, we started off and we had a, a prayer of thanksgiving. This week, we have a prayer of intercession. Paul is praying for the people in Colossae, and he's praying that the faith that they possess would be demonstrated in their lives. So this morning, we're going to get a recipe for Christian living from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And how does it start? For this reason also, since the day we heard this, I have to stop at this point. For for what reason? Since the day we heard what? So I need to go up to verse 8, and really verse 7. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And now we have that question that I am asked more than any other, particularly when I'm speaking to a young adult or a youth context. How do I know what the will of God is? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to college? What stock would prove to give me an increased ROI? How do I know what the will of God is? And and that's a good question. And what we see here is that the knowledge of his will is speaking of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's not some knowledge of some secret plan. And so when I get these questions how do I know the the will of God, who who I'm supposed to be with? My response is, well, let's take a look and see what the revealed will of God is. What has God revealed to us as his will? And how are we doing with that? And and once we start working on the known will of God, the, the unknown will of God will begin to work itself out. We can get hung up waiting for that divine postcard with direction when we've been given incredible direction already. So this will of God is very simply the fullness of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. In Judaism, knowledge of God's will was found only in the law. If you wanted to know what God's will was for you, you open up the Levitical codes and there you go. 637 lines of instruction telling you how you are supposed to live and this is God's will for your life. But for Paul, Jesus is the end of the law, and God's will is embodied for us in Jesus. And that's this prayer. Remember how it started in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. This was a community who knew who Jesus was. Trinity, I believe this is a community who knows who Jesus is. And so when we're reading this prayer, this prayer of intercession that Paul was praying for these first century believers in Colossae, I don't think it's that far of a leap to say, this is a prayer that we can pray for one another. The requests that he makes are just as valid for us today as they were for these first century believers. Now It goes on to say that we grow with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God so here we have this again this growing in the knowledge of God i'm going to make a strong statement here knowledge of God is the foundation for christian living i'll say that again knowledge of God is the foundation for christian living this is 2023 We know a lot of things. We have rockets going to places and doing things that we never would have imagined 20 years ago. The rate of the increase of knowledge in humanity is staggering. Yet, all of this knowledge doesn't really seem to contribute well to faithful Christian living. It starts with knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is that foundation for all Christian living, And as we grow in our knowledge of God, as we grow and we see his works through history, as we study our own life stories and see his faithfulness in our lives, time and time again, we learn more about who God is and we're given a protection. As we learn more about who God is, we become better equipped to recognize the false claims about him. When we know the truth We are able to shield ourselves from false teachings. So if we grow in the knowledge of God, we are becoming protected against the things that threaten to shipwreck our faith. Uh, One commentator put it this way, Christians may not know more than others, but they should know better. And I love that. It's not about how much we know about everything in the world, but because we know our God and we know our Savior, we know better than to do certain things. I think of the Jurassic Park quote. You know, we were so busy trying to figure out if we could bring dinosaurs out of this amber and reconstitute them and have them in this park. We never asked the question if we should do this. Christians should know better. To receive the gospel is to know God. To know God is to do his will. And to do his will is to know more and more of who God is. The passage that Laura read for us this morning from John 14 and 15, we heard all this language of abiding and loving and obeying. And one of the things I love about the Gospel of John is how the evangelist uses the words obey, love, and hear. He uses them almost interchangeably. If you hear the words of Christ, you will obey the words of Christ because you've heard them. And the reason you obey the words of Christ is because you love him. These things go together. So this life that is changed is not about works. It's about a response to a person. And so it's a beautiful picture. We go on in the text in verse 10. I'm going to back up a little bit. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. So walk worthy is the primary verb here. We're going to have a grammar lesson. This walk worthy is the main verb. If you have your Bible with you in a pencil, draw a square around walk worthy. And then as we go, we're going to see four participles. You all with me? Can I get an amen for participles? All right. We have four participles. And what these participles do is they tell us what it means to walk worthily. What does it look like? So, you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So we walk worthy by bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, being strengthened, and giving thanks. This bearing fruit seems, when we first hear it, to be a You know, if you're a Christian, you better do the right thing. If you don't do the right thing, you're not being a Christian. That's not what Paul is getting at here. This is not a works-based salvation. Rather, it's the evidence of the reality of salvation. Dallas Willard says it so well. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So by responding in obedience to the commands of Christ, we're not earning anything. We're demonstrating We're demonstrating the beauty of our faith and the depth of our love for him. Now, speaking of another vineyard and another gospel, in Luke chapter 13, we have this vineyard owner who plants a fig tree. And what does he expect that fig tree to do? Bear fruit. That's why he planted it. Lisa and I, we moved into our house in Garland in 2012, and we were very excited to see this pecan tree in our backyard. We found out later from an arborist that it is likely the oldest pecan tree in Garland. It is huge. And when we moved in, it started dropping pecans like crazy. And Lisa was, all right, we have fresh pecans. And she went out with this bag, and she filled up this bag with all of these pecans. And she came into the house and cracked them open, one after the other, after the other. And every single one was empty they were all hollow. Basically, that tree was just giving us litter. And it has continued for over a decade. It goes, hey, look at all this amazing fruit. And then it drops the amazing fruit and even the squirrels are disgusted by the offering of the tree. When that fig tree was planted, the vineyard owner expected it to bear fruit. We expected that pecan tree to bear fruit. And God expects us as Christians to bear fruit. In the context of the gospel, bearing fruit speaks to obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what bearing fruit is, being obedient to the commands of Jesus. But true obedience doesn't come from us just doing stuff. True obedience comes from a life that has been drastically transformed. The point was made so well when the text was being read from the Gospel of John. It's it's not up to us. We can't do this. This description that we have is intimidating if we don't acknowledge something that's very important that we see in the text. If we take a look at this list again, verse 11, being strengthened with all power. That's one of those participles. So one of the ways that we walk worthily is by being strengthened. But we're not strengthening ourselves. This is what's called a divine passive We are passive recipients of divine action. God is the one who strengthens us to enable us to walk worthily. A good fruit tree produces fruit spontaneously and naturally because it's a good fruit tree. A useless tree, no matter how healthy, even if it's the largest pecan tree in all of Garland, is not going to bear fruit and it will still be a useless tree. Only true Christian experience can produce fruit. And this is so important because somebody can say, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to do everything that makes me look like a Christian and maybe then I'll be a faithful Christian. And you know what? That person might check all of the boxes, but they're not bearing any fruit because they're not being filled by the Holy Spirit. They're not being given the strength by God to do these things. They're trying to do it on their own, in their own strength. But those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when there is a continuity between who we are in Christ and the work that we're doing, then it's good fruit. Anything else is just a sham. It's when we realize who we are in Christ and what Christ has done and is doing in our behalf. You know, Paul isn't praising the Colossians just because they learned the truth from Epaphras. He's praising them because their faith has been demonstrated time and time again through action. He describes the fruits of their love, a litmus test of the validity of our faith and our our lived reality of faith is does it make any difference in the way that we live our life and the way that we love and serve others? It's a convicting question because often I can miss the point because I'm losing sight of the fact that I'm being strengthened. It's not me doing it. It's God doing it through me and sometimes in spite of me. Knowledge alone does not enable obedience. It's knowledge with submission to the Holy Spirit. We we are not just those who have received the grace of God. We are meant to be vehicles of the grace of God to others. So I asked at the very beginning of this message, how can we show love to the God who has done so much for us? Well, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Endurance, power to cope with and to be content in the midst of whatever circumstance, in the midst of trial, in the midst of chaos, being able to endure this faithfully, knowing that God's grace is going to carry us through. And patience, if endurance is in regard to circumstances, patience is in regards to people. Patience means we resist that bitterness when we feel like we've been wronged, or betrayed. Patience means that we don't look for vengeance. Rather, we look for how can we love and turn the other cheek. I'm a big fan of Augustine of Hippo, this fourth and fifth century bishop and saint, and he says that patience prefers to endure evil so as to not commit it rather than to commit evil so as to not endure it. I love that. Are we willing to endure suffering at the hands of others so as to not commit evil ourselves? Are we willing to be patient, not cultivating bitterness in our hearts? And then we go to verse 12. So we are joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Being thankful is not a feeling. Have you ever thought about that? It's, it's Being thankful is not just a feeling that overcomes us. Being thankful is a conscious choice. It's something that we can decide to do. In the first century Judaic context, they would have understood thankfulness as confessing something, and specifically confessing in this context that Jesus is Lord. Our, thankful, our thankfulness to God is a confession of who we believe Jesus is. Henri Nouwen says that gratitude, in its deepest sense, means to live life as a gift to be received gratefully. But gratitude, as the gospel speaks about it, embraces all of life. Listen to this the good and the bad, the joyful and the painful, the holy and the not so holy. When things are not going our way, what does it look like to be thankful? Should we, can we be thankful? I'm going to suggest that we can, and how can we do this? Well, I've already mentioned the Holy Spirit is doing so much on our behalf that we cannot do ourselves. Listen to this last two verses. "The Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been delivered. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness. How many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or have seen the movie? I'll allow the movie. (laughs) Think about Narnia and what the kids found when they walked through that wardrobe. What time of year was it? It was winter. And it was a winter that was never-ending, but it was a very depressing winter because there's that line, always winter, but never Christmas. It's cold. It's bleak. And there's no hope. When we look around us, we see a world that is in desperate need of rescue from sin. We live in a fallen world surrounded by fallen people under attack by a fallen angel. That's a pretty dark situation. But we have been delivered We have been taken from this domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the sun, which above is translated, understood as the kingdom of light. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is is the gospel that they're living in light of. You see, there's nothing that any of us can do in our own strength to settle our accounts with God. Every single one of us and every single person you ever encounter is so affected by sin that they would never be able to stand righteously before God. It's simply impossible. But here's the thing about God. that The love that we show Him because of what He has done for us, well, what has He done for us? He has showed us, He has shown us such phenomenal love that even while we were still sinners, when we would freely reject Him, when we would spit in His face rather than spend a second with Him, Even then, he sent his Son to do for us what we could never do, to pay a price that we would never be able to pay. Jesus Christ, walking on this earth as the perfect Son of God, fully God, yet fully man, never fell, never stumbled, yet he was sentenced to death. And that death that he was sentenced to, in that death, he took upon himself the weight of all of our sin. This is the gift and the promise of the gospel. So what can we do to show love to a God who has done so much for us? As I look at this text, I have a simple answer that is very difficult to live into. Bear fruit with thanksgiving. How's how's your fruit bearing? Are you dropping pecans that will never see the inside of a pie Or are you bearing abundant fruit for the glory of God? And what's our heart attitude as we're living these lives of obedience? Are we willing to move from our seats and into service? Are we willing to show our love for others in the same way that God has shown love for us? And are we willing to do this with a heart that is full of thanksgiving? I read a story recently about a vendor who sold bagels for 50 cents each, which is a pretty good price, on the street corner. And there was this jogger who would run by every morning and he would see the bucket where people would put their money to take their bagel and he would throw 50 cents in and he would keep on running. He wouldn't take a bagel. And he would run by the next day, jog by, throw 50 cents in and keep on running, never taking a bagel. He did this for months. Finally, the bagel salesman stopped the jogger. And the jogger said, I bet you you're going to ask me why I keep throwing 50 cents in but never take a bagel. And the vendor said, "Uh, no, I just wanted to let you know the cost of bagels has gone up to 60 cents. (laughs) Too often, I think we as believers treat God with that same kind of attitude. He has blessed us so richly, and not only are we ungrateful for what he has given us, we demand more from him. So I challenge myself and I challenge all of you to recognize... God doesn't owe us anything, yet he gives us everything. What does it mean to be thankful? How can we be thankful in every situation? In the good, in the bad, in the beautiful, and in the ugly. So I have a cheesy pastor application for you. But I ask you to try this. I'm going to authorize you using your phones if you have them with you. I want you to take your phones, take your smartwatches, take whatever your devices are. And verse 12 of chapter 1 tells us to be thankful. So set an alarm for 12 noon and give it the label thankfulness break. And every day at noon your phone's going to go off and I want you to take a look at your present circumstances, whatever they might be, and pause and give God thanks. Pray for contentment regardless of the circumstance. Recognize that every breath that we take is a gift from him. And even in the darkest and most miserable of circumstances, we can be thankful because we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the eternal son. We have hope in Jesus Christ and he cannot and will not fail. You cannot out-sin or outdoubt the grace of God through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. How can we love our God and thank him for what he's done for us. Let's be men and women who bear fruit with thankful hearts. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with our hearts convicted that all too often we don't even see the incredible blessings that you bring before us every single day. I pray that you would tune our hearts to the work of the Son, that you would give us the strength to get out of the way and be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. May we be those who serve and love those around us, not because of it, what we can get out of it or it makes us feel good, but because we are wanting to model what you have done for us in our lives of service to others. May we be a church that the surrounding community sees as a place where those are encouraged, where needs are being met, where people are being loved well, people are being seen, understood, and cared for. May we be a church that gives you glory in the way that we love others that are around us. We cannot do this on our own. So we pray for that strengthening that boggles the imagination so that we might be able to give you glory through our loving obedience. We pray this in the name of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand to our feet.